You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sobriety with me, your friend, your pal, your sober gal. She's got everything she wants. She's got time to to done. Take to dinner. She's a lady. Whoa, 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 sober lady. I'm talking about that sober lady. And the lady is my. Please don't come for me for a copyright claim, Tom Jones. Speaking of Tom Jones, um, this is nothing to do with Tom Jones, but, you know, I just. Sometimes I feel like you need to have um, segues, and um, I didn't really have a good one out of that. So speaking of Tom Jones, last night, last night, you guys, I had a really upsetting drunk dream, which I have. I've done an episode where I've talked about these dreams. They're not super common, but I'm going to say maybe like once every maybe four five, six months, I might have one. And they definitely increase when I'm feeling more stressed and I have things kind of going on in my life. Um, Not surprising that I would have these dreams when I'm feeling stressed out. And they're always dreams where I end up getting drunk or someone tells me that I got drunk and I have no memory of it. I end up feeling really guilty and stressed. And it's, you know, sometimes things come up in the dreams where Like I get fired or just, you know, it's like bad things happen. I have bad consequences, which is good. It's good that I have drunk dreams with bad consequences. It wouldn't be, it would, it would be a little harder to navigate if I had like drunk dreams where everything was like lovely and perfect, you know, it's like I wake up and I go, oh, it was just a nightmare. But this dream that I had last night in it, um, I go out to a bar with a group of friends. Some of them I know, some of them are like made up people. It's weird when you have dreams with made up people but you somehow know them in your dreams like I I, I had like half of this group I have they're not real people like I don't know them they're not real people but in the dream I was like oh Bethany my best friend and we go to this bar and I guess at some point I get drunk and I start doing embarrassing things and making a fool of myself and basically the entire group just came to me and they were like we have to leave you here because we don't want to be seen with you anymore. So like, you know, figure it out. Goodbye. And then they all left me and I was just at this bar by myself, drunk, crying. And I woke up and I was like sobbing. I was crying and it really took me a little bit to kind of like calm myself down, be like, that was just a dream. Those weren't even real people. You don't even fucking know Bethany. Like you don't have to be crying because Bethany left you at the bar. She's not a real person. Even after waking up, I still was like so consumed with this feeling of just like rejection and shame and embarrassment. I started going through and like rereading my DMs and my texts with my friends and sort of like, I don't know, kind of this reassuring kind of behavior of looking to make sure, oh no, like, I have friends and people like me and I didn't do anything bad last night and uh, there's like no proof anywhere that people are rejecting me and um, being sober it is it's allowed me to I've said before foster so many better relationships and deeper relationships and ones where I don't have to worry about what did I do last night I don't remember what I said I don't remember what I did But these dreams and shit just like they can bring you right back to remembering all of the times that your behavior 
did lead to people rejecting you and oftentimes rightfully rejecting you. But after I was able to get fake Bethany out of my mind, I started thinking about rejection and social rejection and the ways in which that may have parallels to alcohol misuse or other drugs and addiction and how how does that factor in? How does experiencing social rejection in our formative years potentially lead to increased risk for um, misuse? And then when we're in that cycle and then we have the social rejection in it and, the, you know, like just sort of all the ways in which that can kind of have this relationship, essentially. And so I was, I looked and I found there was a study in PubMed from, Uh, 2017 titled Social Rejection and Alcohol Use in Daily Life that I thought was interesting. It looked at how rejection in relationships, both close ones and people at a distance, like, you know, acquaintances, how that impacts drinking. And I thought it was interesting. The study concluded that on days characterized by rejection by close others, the likelihood of drinking significantly increased. On days characterized by rejection, by acquaintances, by contrast, there was no increase in the likelihood of drinking. And like, obviously, this is just like one study. But um, I thought that was kind of interesting to think about the fact that, you know, we often hear if you can have a really good friend, if you can have a really strong support system of, you know, a caregiver, you know, someone, if you can have someone in your life that provides unconditional love that can make a huge difference in all avenues and so I thought that that was interesting to say that rejection from people that we don't really know did not have as much of an impact on increasing drinking as it did when it was someone that was close to us when it was a loved one when it was someone whose opinion of us really matters you know because it's like who the fuck cares what a stranger thinks you know like We live in a society and I think that there are certain societal things that exist to to keep society functioning like, you know, you shouldn't just go out and be like a dick to everybody. But at the end of the day, a stranger's opinion of you, it, it what does it mean? It doesn't really mean anything. But rejection from someone close to us, from someone who does know us, of course, that's going to affect things like self-esteem self-worth and all of those things can you know have uh, a connection to the likelihood of increased drinking and then another research paper that i read looked at the links between social exclusion and substance use misuse and addiction so chronically excluded individuals report experiencing higher levels of depressive symptoms helplessness alienation, and perceived existential meaninglessness. Individuals from stigmatized groups, like formerly incarcerated persons, for example, are most likely to experience this. And the paper went on to talk about how chronic social exclusion should be treated as a form of trauma, particularly in trauma-based therapies or treatments. Reading all of this, um, I was struck by something that I'm often struck by in thinking about my own path towards alcohol misuse and recovery and it's something that I've talked about I believe I talked about it in the very first episode and it's that I have been very lucky in many ways in my life despite my anxiety as a child I made friends easily 
I think that people liked me and I think people do generally like me. Some of my neurotic behavior got classified as quirky or funny or like, oh, that's just Ari. She's nervous about things. And I know that that's not something that everybody gets to experience with their kind of neuroses. I didn't experience negative social interaction as a part of it. Other than I'm pretty sure that there were parents of kids that I would hang out with growing up who were like, Ari is annoying. (laughs) Or like, Ari is a lot to handle and some of the neurosis, it's a lot. But I did not experience that with other kids. In my friend groups growing up, especially in elementary school and middle school, I tended to be the leader of those groups. And like I look back and I think about my life and my childhood, and even though I was so worried all the time, about the world ending and, you know, planes crashing into the room. And this was, this was pre-9-11. I was thinking that shit pre-9-11, okay? So you can imagine that shit got kicked up when I realized, oh yeah, actually my uh, vision I have of planes crashing into buildings can happen. Um, But, you know, I navigated social interactions and my peers and an environment that can be really difficult for a lot of people pretty well. And it came without a lot of strife. My social anxiety kicked in if I went to a party and felt nervous that I didn't really know people. But I'm also thinking like, yeah, that's just sort of being (laughs) around new humans. I've said before, I was never popular, but I was never unpopular. I sort of just floated in the middle, which is a nice place to be, you know. I had a hard time in sixth grade, but that's because I had my first wave of clinical depression And I lost a lot of motivation um, and my schoolwork kind of suffered. I had my I had kind of like, I don't know, sort of like existentialism of just what's the point? And, you know, if I can't run away and marry Ross Geller, why do I even exist? Um, But it didn't impact my relationships in school or with people. And in high school, I felt isolated. Um, You know, obviously my dad died and that had a huge impact and then my best friend graduated early and I would worry about who to eat lunch with because I had friends that sort of scattered over the years into different groups and sometimes my boyfriend would be like rehearsing for a play or something and I would get freaked out and call my mom with a stomach ache and go home. Like I definitely had stomach aches real and not real all the time that required me to go home But it was all my own making, nothing external. People were fine to me. And I was so resolved to not drink at all in high school. I don't even remember feeling pressured ever because I just knew I wasn't going to. But it's because I didn't want to. Not a single part of me thought that seems fun. And in some ways, my anxiety protected me from participating in dangerous activities because I never felt invincible. So the actual definition of social rejection is it occurs when an individual is deliberately excluded from a social relationship or social interaction. Rejection can either be active by bullying, teasing, or ridiculing, or passive by ignoring a person or giving them the silent treatment. We will all experience some level of rejection. It is inevitable. I even think it's healthy to experience it from time to time, especially like romantically. I was always the person telling my friends, like, just tell them how you feel. Like, especially in college, I'd be like, yeah, just like, you know, be like, I like you. And then they'd be like, oh, no, we got to play it cool. And I was like, no, who fucking cares? Who fucking cares? Oh, he's going to he's going to he's going to reject you. Okay, fine. You'll be fine. Brush it off, girl. Brush it off. 
But, you know, I also am a little bit unhealthily attracted to the chase. Like, I have often gone after the man who is, like, unattainable or, you know, is wishy-washy with me. And it just makes me go like, ah, a challenge accepted. So, you know, that's not great either. (laughs) And that's something I've been, you know, unraveling. But anyway, uh, back to projection. Not me and my attraction to, you know, people that don't actually uh, want me. I'm like, ah, you rejected me? Hot. When rejection is by an entire group of people or becomes this reoccurring thing, that is extremely painful and very different than just the occasional rejection that we all are going to encounter in our lives. But I think making peace with knowing it's going to happen occasionally and learning to not let it bulldoze your sense of self or confidence is huge. And drinking has this bizarre, almost cyclical relationship with social rejection. Because on one hand, sometimes we drink to soothe that anxiety or the social fears, give us that bullshit liquid courage that everybody talks about. But then you drink too much and you lose your necessary inhibitions and you do something stupid or annoying. You piss everyone off like I did in my dream. And you end up engaging in behavior that can lead to that social rejection that you (laughs) were drinking Uh, because you were afraid you would experience it, and then you end up experiencing it because you drank too much. I vaguely remember one time going to this karaoke bar with an old friend of mine. Uh, I mean, not an old, not an old friend, like a, a, like my age friend, just a friend. We're not friends anymore, but but can you imagine? I just go to karaoke while I'm still a drunken mess with like my random 80-year-old friend. This is my old friend. So we go to karaoke and I was just in this place in my life where I felt like I wanted to be perceived as cool. This was after college and I don't know why I was in this stage of my life. Um, Maybe it's because I was living at home and stupid because so many people live at home after college, especially millennials and I don't know if Gen Z and if they're doing that too. It was not uncommon, but I just really wanted to be seen as cool because I just kept fighting this feeling that I was a loser and that was not something that I had felt before in my life. I had never thought of myself as a loser. And I don't know why I was thinking that about myself. I had a job. I had graduated from UCLA. I think maybe the drinking was starting to contribute to those feelings and I just didn't clock it. Um, But anyway, I just wanted to be perceived as cool. And um, I was really wanting to like impress people. And it's weird because I've never been cool. Cool has never been my brand. It's never been something I care about. I'd rather be seen as funny or... Um, that's it. I would just rather be seen as funny. Um, but so we would go to this karaoke bar and I'd see some other cool people and, you know, see like a guy and be like, oh, I want them to all think I'm hot and cool. So we would start drinking. And, um, because I don't think at the time I thought that I was drinking problematically, I was like, oh, you know, if I have a few drinks then I become chatty and flirty and cool. So we get drunk, we're chatting with people doing karaoke and we'd been to this place a few times and I got cut off at some point by the bartender and I just remember falling backwards while holding a glass and the glass just shattered everywhere and it was just super embarrassing and then you're trying to pretend like you're not drunk and the rest of the night was hazy but I remember my friend saying I don't think we should go there anymore and I was like wait why and she said like I think you're getting a reputation there as someone who gets sloppy And I was so mortified. Here I am thinking that I'm fun and cool, but actually drinking is leading to my social rejection. I also came across this photo the other day that I took 
it's a selfie. I took it in a hotel room in San Francisco and I'm holding this glass of champagne like, oh, look at me. I'm like 25 in the photo. Um, I'm 24 or 25. And I was there that night because I basically booked this hotel room to go see this musician's band play who I'd hooked up with a few times. And we would text every now and then. And he was coming into town. Uh, not a famous musician by any means, so please do not get excited. But um, I think they opened for like Andy Grammer or something. I don't know. But I, you know, he was coming into town. So he was like, oh, I'll put you on the list. And I went by myself. And of course, I was so nervous and lacking the confidence to just go and be there and be present that I, you know, I got drunk. And um, I remember going to the bathroom, coming out of the bathroom and a bouncer or someone at the venue being like, you're drunk, you have to leave. People said you were throwing up in there. And listen, I don't always remember a lot from my drinking days, but I threw up once and only once in all of my drinking. And that was at home after making myself orange juice and tequilas alone playing The Sims. I have a very serious vomit phobia. It is not something I am prone to. It's not something I do. I was like, no, sir, I might be drunk, but I was definitely not throwing up. I might be an alcoholic, but I did not throw up in there. I, I just went pee, okay? Absolutely not. And then I started getting so mad at him. And like, I'm sure I was belligerent. And I started telling him like, I am severely imitophobic. If I had been throwing up, I'd be crying right now and shaking. Trust me, sir. I did not throw up. That was someone else. You were mistaking me for another drunk girl. You know, but he didn't care. And he kicked me out. He kicked me out of the venue. So obviously, um, I was still appearing to be drunk enough that, you know, I was a liability or whatever. But I went back to the hotel room that I booked for the night. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? And I was really mad because I felt like obviously I had no credibility because I was drunk. But I felt super pissed off because I was like, dude, I did not throw up. Let me tell you. Like I said, the one memory I have of throwing up is seared into my mind and I got sober a month after that happened because I was like, I've hit my one of my rock bottoms. Like me throwing up from drinking, it's one of my biggest fears and it finally happened. I am done. Um, but, you know, so I just went home and I, I was like, this was supposed to be my sexy, cool night meeting up with the famous adjacent musician that I flirt and hook up with sometimes and now I'm just here and... I'm full of shame and I'm embarrassed for something that I didn't even do. Um, you know, I was just watching the show, but I was drunk. So I was just so deeply embarrassed. And the shame, I could just feel it in my bones. And the thing is that shame can give you a momentary pause of, oh, fuck, I never want to feel out of control like this again. And, you know, you have that. I know I had that so much during my cycle of addiction of being like, oh, I, I can't feel this way. I don't want to feel this anyway. And then the, that same shame can tap on your shoulder in a few days and you don't want to feel or think about it. And so you drink or you take drugs or you do whatever the thing is to drown out the shame. And also the addiction itself can, um, can and does um, overpower the shame and the cycle continues. In recovery, socialization can feel really raw sometimes especially when the ritual of drinking or, or doing drugs or whatever has become intertwined with your social life. And because you're back in your body and interacting with the world with new clarity, 
it can bring back social rejection sensitivity or just fears in general about how you're going to be received by people. But I think the longer that you are in recovery and the stronger you grow in knowing yourself and feeling comfortable and at peace with yourself, I mean, that's the the best antidote to to rejection in general and fears around rejection. And, um, you know, it's not easy. It takes time and it takes work. And I mean, it's like so many of the things that are good for us take work and it's fucking annoying. It's like, can something good for us just also be good and easy to do? You know, like what's something that's good for us that's also really easy? I was going to say sleep, but not really. I have fucking insomnia. Anyway, just, you know, a few little thoughts for you. Um, my neighbor who I share a wall with is starting to be really loud. So that's my cue to wrap it up. Just remember, y'all, um, man's rejection is God's protection. Something like that, right? Yeah. She's an onion and she's a sober lady. Sobriety. Talking about sobriety with Ari. Oh my god. Wow. I just shocked myself with how good that was. Oh my god. With that, we'll see y'all next week. Bye, everyone. <laughs>